Welcome back to another week of In the Abyss Metal Podcast. Um, me here, as usual, Joey Traganza. Um, but this week it's a little bit different. Um, there's no Padre, there's no Anne. A uh, bit of a bit of a night out on Friday, so we're uh, we're changing it up a bit. Um, this week I have a guest joining uh, Serena Cherry, uh, guitars and vocals for Svalbard, uh, and also Black Metal Side Project Noctal. Um, basically, just joining me to have a chat about Svalbard, um, about um, her opinions on a few things, um, and yeah, whatever else kind of comes up in the conversation. Um, as per usual, you can get in touch with us via all the socials on Instagram at Merch in the Abyss, at Jerry Traganza, um, and on Facebook and Twitter, we are at In the Abyss UK, and also our web store, intheabyss.co.uk. Um, go check them out. But until then, um, have a listen. Firstly, I need to apologise for some of the sound quality. I had a few issues with recording. Uh, the first 10 minutes are a little bit uh, a little bit dodgy, but it does get better. But it's it's a great interview, so enjoy. Hi, Serena. How are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. It's, it's Friday, so it's the end of the week. Everybody's happy. It's where it should be um yeah firstly thank you for coming on um it's it's a you know it's a privilege for you to take time out of your roller coaster schedule pardon the pun uh to talk to you for an hour um yeah i mean it, it just an open conversation just a chat there's a few sort of things i want to get your opinions on and and stuff like that so um you know Forgive me if it's something you've heard before, but it's, it's things that I'm interested in and hopefully our listeners are interested in as well. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Always um, happy to chat. Cool. Uh, the, the first thing I actually wanted to know, because I've, I've only recently discovered Svalbard and, um, you know, I, I was sort of really into it right from the start. I can hear that kind of that sort of Scandinavian influence, but why the name... Svalbard, why name yourself after a Norwegian topographical feature? Um, well, there's, there's two reasons. Um, when we formed the band 11 years ago, uh, we were trying to come up with a name and we were, you know, messaging each other suggestions. And two of us, uh, myself and Liam, the guitar, other guitarists and vocalists in the band, were both reading His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman at the time. And Svalbard is one of the settings in that book. So uh, I think we were just texting each other various words from those books. <laughs> and, uh, and we said, how about Svalbard? And, and then that stuck. And then the second reason was, at the time, I was um, uh, also sponsoring some polar bears who live in Svalbard okay. through WWF. So, yeah, that's kind of... Where it was one of those words that when we were reading those books and when I was uh, sponsoring the polar bears just seemed to be around a lot. So that's uh, where it came from. And then I think it, um, it it fits our sound because we have a lot of kind of um, icy but beautiful black metal-y style yeah. flavours to the music. So I think it kind of visually it fits, the place fits the sound, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, the first time I heard your music, I naturally assumed you were Scandinavian. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we're, we're originally from Bristol, and uh, Liam, we both live in different areas of London now, and the rest of the band still live in Bristol, so we've got a, a 
nice relationship going on at the moment. <laughs> um, talking about Bristol, because that's something else that sort of struck me, and and the, the the sound that you guys create, obviously, is quite dark. You've got um, a sort of quite a moody kind of feel to it. Like you said, it's sort of brutal yet yet beautiful. Um, did the, the the sort of Bristol scene, kind of like the late nineties and the the early 2000s bands are massive attack and Porter said, has that ever had any kind of influence on you and the music you create? No, not at all. Um, I'm not really a fan of the Bristol trip pop scene. I can appreciate that uh, lots of people like uh, those bands. And, you know, I think Porter's Head, the album third, is... Um, quite sad which I can appreciate uh, but I always find it it's almost a little bit frustrating that those are the first things people say when you talk about Bristol music it's like yeah. bands that were big 30 years ago yeah, and true. there's so much more you know there's there's loads of great metal in Bristol loads of great hardcore in Bristol loads of great punk in Bristol but people talk about that less or it's less known because you know it's not the same you know trip hop scene from the 90s so i think yeah there, there's a lot more to bristol to that than that and personally um i've always found that <laughs> one of the reasons i moved away was that i find that bristol trip poppy um scene and it's record labels and the people involved with it a bit too cool for school um so yeah a bit pretentious um yeah quite um they're not it's it's very cliquey yeah. i think would be the word that yeah, i've seen it's very right, cliquey yeah. um yeah that yeah that makes total sense i mean yeah you're right it, it, there is a there is a um a strong scene in bristol uh, I, I used to live down that way and um there was always there's always a good scene certainly for punk and hardcore there was always a decent diy scene around there so you know i, I think it's sort of you know I, I don't know a lot about it cage fight are they from bristol um no am I, am I, I wrong? think i think cage fight are from um closer closer to london way oh, yeah, i mean we played in i'm not sure i might be wrong with that <laughs> we played with them recently in luton so i just assumed they were from near Luton <laughs> I could be wrong with that I don't know <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Um, I mean your your music in Svalbard so I'll, I'll touch on that first and foremost because I read a lot of stuff about um, you, you're sort of lumped into this this term post hardcore and anything with the name with the word post in it I'm always a little bit wary of um, but for me like you just talked about you've got more of a black metal influence than anything else for me um, what do you sort of think about that do you do you consider yourself, I'll come to your lyrics in a bit, but, you know, do you consider yourself influenced by hardcore bands as much as you do black metal? Um, so for me personally, no. Like, I'm not into hardcore. I'm a, I'm a metalhead. Like, my two favourite genres are power metal and black metal. Um, and I can appreciate the ethics and the DIY aspects of the hardcore scene. And we've definitely, you know, we've... As Svalbard, when we were starting out as a band, we definitely played with a lot of hardcore bands. Yeah. And um, Liam and Mark definitely listened to more hardcore stuff than I do. And I think that's where, because 
we all write music collaboratively. I think that's where the hardcore influence comes into the band is from them. But um, it, it pains me a little bit when I hear people describe us as a post-hardcore band because I don't even listen to post-hardcore. <laughs> so I find it a bit like, oh, no, don't, don't say that. That's not, not what I want at all. But you can't control the way people are going to pigeonhole you, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's almost unavoidable these days. I think as, as, soon, as, you, as soon as someone picks up on you... It, Whatever your whatever your sound is, someone will always try and pigeonhole you into a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre. Oh, definitely, and it's incredibly restrictive. And what I find funny about that is, like, I wouldn't listen to a post-hardcore band. Like, no. if someone messaged me, like, "Oh, check out this post-hardcore band," I probably wouldn't be leaping at the chance because that's not my flavour. That's not my cup of tea, really. So to hear your own music be described as post-hardcore when you don't even listen to <laughs> is a little bit frustrating but but at the same time I can see where people come from at, when they make that claim and um, and you know, like Liam and Mark do listen to more of that kind of stuff and bring more of those kind of elements to the band so I can see why people would use that phrase it's just personally a bit frustrating for me <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I could imagine that I mean I think some of it may come from the subject matter of your lyrics perhaps I mean uh, I've, I've sort of had a read through um, and you know it, it sounds all quite deep, deeply personal there's a lot of ex existentialism in there you know attacking the patriarchy that kind of thing songs like what she was wearing what was she wearing clickbait revenge porn there's, there's a certain sort of theme to that do you think that's contributed to it I think People do tend to associate politics and sociological lyrical concepts with more with hardcore and punk. Yeah. Punk is definitely a lot more direct lyrically about the thing that's, you know, they'll have specific songs about specific things that are in society or politics that are pissing them off. Whereas metal tends to be a bit more obscure with its lyrics like it's a bit more lots of fancy words where you have to decipher the meaning so I can see that people see the directness of my lyrics and then sort of and then hear the and then they hear the d-beat that Mark plays on the drums and they're like it's hardcore <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can see how it happens and yeah I definitely agree with you in that like having um sort of direct topical political lyrics um definitely is it's an aspect that can be linked more with punk and hardcore was the, the lyrics like that i mean that those kind of subject matters is that something you you set out to do right from the start or is that just something that's developed that's something that developed um so when we first started it was more kind of i mean there were always because i i studied sociology at uni and I always brought that into the mix like I remember one of our first songs was called so much for meritocracy and it was yeah. about yeah the lack of meritocracy in our in our uh, society at the moment and stuff like in western society so it's there's always been a sprinkling but it was a lot more subtle before and like I think the lyrics on most of the songs on the first album are kind of a little bit more emotionally tinged rather than direct, you know, this is what this song's about. And then it was um, how I made that change lyrically to be more direct and a bit more specifically topical was I was um, 
the staff writer for Terrorizer magazine at the time. So I'd be interviewing a lot of bands and every time, and it's all, you know, it's a lot of metal at Terrorizer. Every time you'd be like, oh, what are the lyrics to this new album about? And they'd always be super vague. And I used to sat there and I just thought, wow, like metal is so aggressive musically and so angry and powerful. And yet the I feel like the lyrics need to match that same level of directness so that there's no ambiguity there's nothing to decipher you hear i mean you hear a song like revenge porn and you know what i'm angry about yeah, yeah, you hear true. a song like we've got a song called pro-life but it's pro-life with a question mark on the end yeah. and the premise of the song is questioning the phrase you know people call themselves pro-life when what they actually mean is pro-fetus and they don't care about the life of the mother who, who doesn't want to have a child or can't bear a child or has health complications or can't afford to have a child so like um yeah there's songs like that where I just wanted it to be as direct and heavy and hard-hitting as the music lyrically so it was definitely a conscious decision to to be a bit more forthcoming lyrically do you think that's given do you think that's given the band a sort of an extra outlet because because people can relate to your lyrics people can familiarize um <laughs> well i think there's there's a lot of people who don't like politics and metal and Absolutely. there's a lot of people who aren't used to having feminist songs in metal um or having songs about you know we've got a song like for the sake of the breed which is about um dogs that are bred with squashed faces and sort of the the mispractices of breeding and then having all these homes full of shelters where um, unwanted dogs are and kind of this whole um, people paying for a designer dog rather than adopting one we've got a metal song about that and like I think it's quite unusual and uncommon to have i've seen funny comments like on our youtube sort of going oh it's like a metal version of world wildlife fund kind of thing <laughs> um so it's a, it's a weird one i think it can put people off but then i think the people who it speaks to it really speaks to and that's something that's important to me is having that power of resonance with your listeners both musically and lyrically do you think social media has has an impact as well I mean, I know that's a, that's a vague question, but, you know, social media gives gives people a platform to obviously, you know, promote ourselves and everything we do. The good side of social media, but there's also the bad side of social media, the, the keyboard warriors, the abuse that's, that's sort of thrown. Have you, have you had anything, have you experienced anything like that in your time as a band? Well, that's what clickbait is about. Yeah. So the story of clickbait is there was an article published on a metal website um, written by a guy, <laughs> uh, so he was paid to write this called Women's Voices are the Most Powerful Voices in Metal at the Moment or something, and then the person who wrote this didn't interview any of the women that he writes about in this piece, so there's me, there's Merka, Larissa from Venom Prison, uh, Employed to Serve, Ithaca, loads of great, amazing women who I look up to, but yeah. I found it incredibly ironic that the piece was called women's voices in metal and yet none of us had a voice in this article we were being spoken for by some guy uh, and his interpretation of what we we're about but there's a very specific way you can notice it in a lot of the major metal sites 
websites and publications, they write their headlines to deliberately stoke a war in the comments. Yes. Like, their headlines will always be incredibly divisive or basically kind of divorced from what the article actually is. Yeah. Um, but the headline for this piece kind of made it sound like, hey, the women are coming to steal the guy's thunder and made it sound like every single woman in metal was at war with the men, which is absolute rubbish because we're in a band with guys. Like, yeah. we're not, yeah. It's not us versus them. There's room for both. Like, And I hated this kind of angle that like somehow the presence of the emerging and growing presence of women in metal was some kind of threat to the guys. Like, there's even a, a line in the article that's like, "Oh, don't worry, men, you're you're still good too," kind of thing. It's, but yeah, um, the article when it was published, this was a couple of years ago, spawned one thousand five hundred hate comments, um, and then I wrote because at the time. Yeah, I still do a lot of writing and stuff. At the time, I wrote a response article via the same website, which, again, generated even more hate comments. And I just realised, I think that was the point where I was just like, do you know what, sometimes it's not worth it. Like, sometimes you have to just not not be as outspoken and uh, and not kind of... So now, ever since that, I don't read any of the comments, so which is sad because I miss out on all the nice comments as yeah. well yeah. to do with my band and yeah i'm but, but yeah i hate these articles especially when it was like it, the only person that benefited from that article was the guy who got paid to write it yeah, like absolutely. i didn't get to represent myself this was an article about women in metal and i didn't even get to say how it is for me or how i feel or what my songs are about I just had some guy write it, write it in an incredibly divisive manner, and then spawn all these hate comments based off someone writing about my band without my own words, if you know what I mean, if you can yeah. see where the frustration comes from there. So, yeah, I think as much as Svalbard are a very topical band, the philosophy now is to sort of save it for the lyrics, yeah. save it for the songs, because social media, I think a lot of the time, people aren't really there to have a healthy discussion on social media. It's always just an argument and that's exhaustive for both sides and, and everyone involved. So it's kind of, let's just say what we want to say in the songs, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think about in the last 20 years, um, I know you've mentioned Angela Gossow from Arch Enemy yourself and that, that, you know, that was a massive moment in metal. I, I got into Arch Enemy off the back of Wages of Sin. And, and on first listen, I was not aware that it was a female singer. Um, and, you know, Angela Costa was amazing. And the first time I saw them in a tiny venue, I was blown away. And it sort of just goes from strength to strength. There's an amazing women in rock and metal. Angela Costa, like I said, Lizzie Hale, Tatiana Smaylook from Ginger, all these 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 wonderful artists. And this this, going back to what you said earlier on about meritocracy, metal doesn't seem to be a meritocracy, whereas it should be, regardless of gender, race, all of those things. It's a funny one because I've seen... Um, well, it's not actually funny. It's, it's a frustrating one because I've seen a lot of people now with, like, it has... There's so much more women in metal now than there was 20 years ago, yeah. and I just get so excited thinking, wow, if I was a 13-year-old girl flicking through Metal Hammer now, look at all the amazing inspiration 
inspirational, cool women or trans people who are out there representing, doing fantastic bands. And the power of representation is if you see these faces in the magazines and you hear these songs and you see them like, yeah, their presence um, within the metal sort of stages of the world, that shows you that this is a welcome place for you to do it too. And it shows that you're represented here too and kind of normalizes rather than novelizes the presence. And I kind of wish it was as good as it is now back when I was younger. Like I remember every magazine I used to read, there'd maybe be like one woman in it (laughs) and stuff like that. So it is really fantastic to see um, the emergence of and the rise of so many uh, women in metal there was another point I was going to make from this, and I, I literally can't remember where I was. It's <laughs> okay. gone from my brain. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. That's cool. I mean, you're right. It is great to see my my own daughter is is 13 years old and has recently started listening to metal. And and like you say, the fact there are so many, you know, amazing women in metal now. It's it, I, I like to think that it is going to inspire her. She's she's learning to play instruments, and you know, I hope all oh. that inspires her to do so. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear. Ah, you've, I've just remembered what my uh, what yeah, I was going to say about the frustrating thing. The frustrating thing is, I've seen a lot of people go, "Oh, it's trendy to have a woman oh, in a yeah. band now. It's a trend. It's a fashion." I've seen actually people say, "Oh, um, the guys just get women in their bands because they know it equals dollar signs." A Nothing in music equals a dollar sign now. No No one in music makes money from music. We all have real full-time jobs as well because music is airborne on Spotify. It is not something you can charge for anymore. Um, And B, I hate this idea that they seem to think that women in bands have no autonomy or um, drive of their own and they just think the guys in the band formed the band and then they flipped through some sort of catalogue of women and went, yes, we'll get her in because it's a trend and it will sell (laughs) sell records. It's like, I can't tell you how frustrating it is for so much progress to be made and so much better representation to be made for women in metal to then have people dismiss it as a trend. Like, (laughs) if you know, we've we've worked hard to be here. (laughs) It's one step forward and two steps back, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I mean, off, off the back of that, I talk to you about the uh, about the UK metal scene in general, really. And again, you know, like yourselves and Venom Prison and Cage Fight, you know, female vocalists. But the, the UK metal scene as a whole is so strong at the moment, and it's something that, off the back of this podcast, I'm really trying to to sort of make a big deal of. Um, it's, I, I think, over the years, bands from the US and bands from outside the UK, bands from Europe, there always seems to be there. There's more opportunity for them, and and for British bands. It doesn't seem to be the same, you know. The, there's not the, the doors aren't opening in the same way. I mean, I look at bands now like Architects and Malevolence that are starting to really build on on a genuine um, on a on a trajectory now that they're going to just go from strength to strength. So, do, do you do you see yourselves in, in you know as a band years to come, growing and growing, and hopefully playing the bigger events? And or is this just just a you know it's 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 your art or I don't know what, what do you think. I don't think there's an either or. I I like to think that you can grow and still stay true to your art. I don't think it's a case of sort of, oh, we're, we're tour arenas, so we're going to have to tone down the heavy shouting and the guitars to, to 
sell more records. Like, um, I think one of the, the beautiful things of the internet nowadays is that uh, it is so much easier and so much more accessible to, to find heavy music so that it's easier to grow a huge fan base. I mean, we, we've been doing this band for 11 years now and we've got some really exciting things. They're about to be announced very soon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the sky's the limit with what we want to do. We just want to keep enjoying writing music together, keep writing music that's important and feels relevant and, you know, stay friends as, yeah. as well. I'd, I'd hate to be in one of those bands where it's like a job and you hate, hate each other, yeah. that kind of thing. But I do think it's interesting you mentioned about opportunity in the UK because something that is seriously impacting us at the moment is Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. So we used to tour uh, the mainland Europe more often than we would tour the UK because you get better money in the mainland, you get treated better, you get fed, nice places to stay. Like it's, it really is um, much better in Europe than it is in the UK, in, in mainland Europe than it is in the UK. Um, and since Brexit, we've really had to, you know, we play less shows in the UK now because of the rules that are in place where like you were getting taxed on every single piece of merch. Yeah. Um, we, there's certain rules about what vehicles you can now take over, how much gear you can now take over, like equipment wise. It has been a legislative nightmare for us and smaller bands of our size. Like, and it's just so pointless. Like who's benefiting from that? Who's benefiting from us now only being able to take less merch and play less shows yeah. abroad. It's, it's so Everybody loses frustrating. Them. I mean, you, um, you've just been over and played Roadburn, obviously, which is obviously a legendary festival. I mean, mm. previous to Brexit, would you have played other shows on the mainland Europe? Or because you've just over there one show and come back? Yeah, that was basically it. We probably would have done. I mean, we have played Roadburn before and... Uh, I think the last time we did, we did shows on the way back and like played a few other shows as well on our way there and back. But but now, yeah, it's just it's just a lot more difficult. Um, there's a lot of red tape yeah. involved now with uh, shows over overseas, which is a real shame. I mean, it's one of the things. One of our highest listenerships on Spotify is the US, but touring the US is incredible incredibly expensive because of the visas and the work permits that you need to be able to do this and it's going to become the same with Europe and it's the same another really frustrating thing is obviously we sell our merch online we sell people buying a shirt from our band camp is like the best thing they can do to help support us as a small band but we've seen a massive drop-off in uh, t-shirt sales and record sales from Europe because of the postage and the tax they now have to pay um, just to receive their item, it's it's like tripled, and it's crazy. You can't ask people to. Obviously, we're not charging more for the t-shirt, but then when you've got to pay customs fees, you've got to pay loads more for the postage, this, that, and the other, and you can't ask a fan to spend forty pounds on a, one t-shirt. It's not fair on them. You, you can so, if you're the Rolling Stones, but for everybody else, it's um, it's just a, a no-go area, isn't it? Um, it's just another one of those things where it's like small businesses and that's not just bands that's people sellers on etsy sellers on um, all sorts of online small businesses are losing sales abroad because of brexit so like it's been a nightmare <laughs> has it been harder as a touring band post pandemic as well as that contributed to it 
The, the thing I found hard post-pandemic is getting back into the gear of of touring again, like getting back into that kind of, right, here we go, performing every day kind of thing, because uh, you just, it was a different pace of life during the, during the pandemic. You had time for other things. Yeah. And uh, one thing I've really struggled with in the last year or so is, is balancing that balancing act of having a full-time job, doing the other hobbies that I do and touring again and needing time off to tour and playing shows again it's like it's a real it's a real balancing act now whereas when we couldn't tour those things weren't you know they weren't even a factor but then I say all that it was incredibly frustrating to have so many shows cancelled and that really affected us financially so it's kind of um yeah the pandemic was I I say was it's obviously still it's still present but like um the lockdowns and things uh really kind of affect your momentum as a band I think and it feels like we're getting back into gear now with with touring and writing and everything which is really good but uh having like a year year and a half where you don't do anything it's uh yeah it really slows things down I think I mean I suppose just to try and take positives in that period there was an awful lot of of, um sort of DIY aspect of music almost came back a little bit, people making music in their bedrooms, you did yourself with with Noxal's Black Nutsar project, which I'll touch on in a minute. Um, you know, that some of the, the things I was watching on YouTube and across social media, it was it was highly entertaining and, and you know, like I said, taking one small positive from a terrible two years. Oh, definitely. Like Noctual is the silver lining for me from the last two years, the fact that I finally had the time to sit and record a solo album about Skyrim, <laughs> which I've wanted to do for years and years and years. A lot of people were like, why are you writing a, an album about a game that's 10 years old? It's like, because I've had this idea for 10 years. <laughs> I just haven't had the time till now. So I think a lot I think a lot of people really benefited from having that time to explore those creative outlets. I loved watching, you know, bands sort of doing their their lockdown shows or their solo performances and on Instagram live or whatever it was like there was there was such a wide variety of um of stuff to see and do and and take in and I also think it was a great time to release a record because people were so receptive to new music because they have more time for it actually sit down and listen to it like we did years ago when you you buy a cd or or, or a record and you actually go and sit down and you listen to the music yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, going back to Noctul, um, forgive me, I know, I'm know i no gamer, so I know nothing about Skyrim. So I sort of did a little bit of research and, and looking at the, the kind of the imagery and the subject matters and stuff like that, it is uncannily black metal in its delivery. <laughs> so I can, I, can, I, can, I can absolutely understand why, if you're a lover of that game, you did a black metal project around that. Um, yeah, it was... Uh... I, I yeah, I think Skyrim and Black Metal go together hand in hand. Like they both lean heavily on Norse mythology. They both have the kind of um, cold, icy landscapes. They both kind of have the dark themes, and uh, like there's a whole um, sort of quest line in Skyrim that's really Lovecraftian, and obviously there's a huge Lovecraftian influence in in a lot of the core 90s black metal bands lyrics so it was just it was a bit of a no-brainer to me um and i had so much fun 
writing that album. It's funny you mention it today because yesterday I actually just started working on some ideas for the second Nocturnal album, um, which was super fun. It's going to be themed to a different game this time, though. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Where did your love of black metal come from in the first place? Because I believe, uh, I think I've read somewhere that you, you did your own black metal project when you were a teenager. <laughs> Didn't we all? Yeah, I did. Um, I had a drum machine when I was like 16 and a little four track. And I used to just sit there making, I made three like rubbish black metal demos um, <laughs> and stuff like that. So I think the love for it for me... To be completely honest with you, I think when you're a teenager and you're into alternate, you know, like I first, my my entry point into metal was new metal. Yeah. And obviously I was drawn to a lot of it by how freaky and cool it looked. Like Slipknot were my first favourite band. I, I absolutely adored them. And, and I think a lot of that was to do with not just the ferocity of the self-titled album, but they looked like incredible it was like nothing anyone had ever seen before um and i think then moving on from that i was always drawn to bands that had these kind of um otherworldly or dark or interesting or majestic imagery um and then bands like i got into the sort of the entry point bands first who i guess wouldn't technically be described as black metal but like i really loved I say loved, I still do, uh, Cradle of Filth and yeah. Demi Borgir, who I would say aren't really black metal. They're more just extreme metal with a black metal tinge to yeah. them. Yeah. Um, but I remember, yeah, like, again, looking through Metal Hammer and seeing them in their corpse paint and their spikes or in their kind of, like, Cradle of Filth with all the vampiric uh, imagery, which I was really into Anne Rice, reading the books and stuff at the time. So it all just kind of made sense to to my little gothy mind at the time <laughs> and then yeah once you get into Dimmu Borgi you kind of obviously become aware of the Norwegian scene and, and discovered all those kind of 90s bands from there um, and then discovered yeah the more the more recent stuff as well and, and just I think what's always appealed to me is like black metal is raw and um, it's not the easiest of listens but it's also very like majestic and grand and epic and it has a real a lot of the black metal my favorite black metal artists have a real ear for melody which is yeah some of the melodies are just so soaring and beautiful and, and that's what keeps me hooked yeah for for a subgenre of music to be so extreme and, and go from two extremes within that extreme if, if you kind of get me from like you say you know terrible sounding dark throne demos from 1989 all the way through to like i said dimu borger and and um uh, progenies, stuff like that, where it is big sounding, doing things with orchestras and, and stuff like that. It, it came so far, and it's it's a fascinating subculture that almost nobody knows anything about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is exactly it. And I just think, I think all bands should play with orchestras all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And they should all do it in the Albert Hall. I think it, it would, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. cry, it's crying out for more of it. Can you imagine black metal in the Albert Hall? I think it would be it. it would be oh wonderful. my God, that would be that would be insane. <laughs> um, so you took Nocturne live um, for the first time at Incineration a couple of weeks ago. How how was that experience? It was the most nerve wracking show I've ever played in my life. I was so nervous, but it went really well. Uh, pleased to report. Um, so there was like a whole kind of 
cosplay, costumey element of the set. It was really nice to do something so different because obviously Svalbard is tried and tested. We've been together for 11 years. We go on stage and, and we know what we're doing. I, I rely and rely. I trust every other member in that band um, and stuff like that. And we know the set so well. And yeah, it's just kind of... Um, it's like, for <laughs> some reason, I don't know why this has popped into my head, Johnson from Peep Show, where he's like, oh, it's just like putting on an old pair of jeans. <laughs> um, sorry, that was a little niche reference no, no, get, there. Yeah, that. but, but that's what Svalbard feels like. And Noctual is, um, it was obviously the first time taking it live. Um, it was interesting trying to figure out which songs would work well live. And yeah, because... Svalbard is less showy, uh, Noctual, because it's themed to a game. I wanted it to be really showy, so we had like a kind of element where I came out in a cloak and mask and did some kind of Skyrim-y based things and then came back and did a, a quick change, wiped all the blood off my hands and came back out and played the set. And yeah, it seemed to go down really well. The Underworld was packed. It was a great festival to play. Um, yeah, really, really pleased with it, to be honest. I don't think you could have chosen a better venue to be in for a first show. I don't think I've ever seen a bad show in the Underworld. Yeah, um, I was so pleased when I found out that we were on the Underworld stage because it's one of my favourite venues to play. Always sounds great in yeah. there. Yeah, it does. I mean, have you got have you got sort of dreams of, of taking this? Because like you say, with some of the theatrics on stage, would you like to do something bigger in the future? Would you like to do something a little bit more conceptual? And is it something that you want to do? Um, well, I always say never say never. At the moment, I am really struggling to balance my time yeah. uh, with everything that, that I sort of do at the moment with doing two bands, working a full-time job, writing for Kerrang. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on it's pretty hectic um it just feels like i never have any free time at the moment um but if it comes to it in the future where i can do more with nocturnal live then absolutely i will i think my next thing that we, we are playing another show uh in august for church road records who released the album's yeah. birthday show that's uh, the black heart um but after, as after that i've got nothing else booked because I'd like to focus on writing a second album with it, I think. Because that's, it's, I'd love to do a big theatrical stage show for it, but the reality is those things cost a lot of money <laughs> and yeah. take a lot of planning. And uh, the real joy of Noctual for me comes from being able to just sit in my room and layer shitloads of guitars and not have to compromise any of my ideas with anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I think these days there's a, there's almost more of a demand for um, live shows to be a bit more over the top, and we, you know, people are paying, having to pay a lot more for tickets these days than you used to. And I don't know, maybe people are just looking for more value for money, so they want pyros and they want explosions and they want theatrics. It's, you know, people are never never satisfied with what they get. No, I blame Kiss. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get that. I saw Kiss once. I'm not really a Kiss fan, but I felt I had to go and see them. And you know what? It was the best 80, 90 quid I, I'd ever spent. It was incredible. So <laughs> I'm not surprised. You know, uh, them and, and, you know, Ramstein are another one. But, um, but yeah, I just want to touch quickly before I let you go on roller coasters, because you're clearly a massive fan of roller coasters and, and you do some stuff on social media. Um, where, where did that come from? 
so that's one of the other things, one of the many things I do. Um, I'm a staff member of Coast to Force, which is a YouTube channel. We have 1.2 million subscribers. We go around the world uh, filming roller coaster content and creating. I do their, um, I'm their social media manager. So we do all the, create all the content for their social media. Uh, this came about, I've always been fascinated by roller coasters um, ever since I went to Alton Towers when I was 10 years old and I saw Nemesis for the first time. And this was back in the 90s when it looked amazing. It doesn't look the same now. No. So it used to have like rivers of fake blood running underneath it, all this smoke in the area. Like it was proper again it was proper black metal i think i'm just drawn to anything that's kind of dark and theatrical basically um i remember seeing it and just being like so amazed that this weird crazy twisted horrific structure could exist but then obviously roller coasters are super fun to watch from off-ride but then you also get to climb on board and experience them so in that respect i always kind of describe roller coasters as like three-dimensional art that you can actually climb into and experience and, and feel you can feel the physical forces of of these structures which is incredible um and that's you know the the over analytical explanation i guess the, the other side is it's just super fun but yeah i've always been really really passionate and really nerdy about roller coasters and ever since i had the internet i was on forums and databases finding out everything i could about all the different roller coasters around the world um i've ridden well i've nearly ridden 700 different roller coasters around the world i'm about to do a trip to america in a few weeks where i will finally get my 700 roller coasters so that's going to be a big one for me um yeah and uh, it's just it's one of my biggest passions and i absolutely love it it makes me happy <laughs> are there any that you've climbed off and thought i'm never getting on that again no <laughs> fair enough 700 <laughs> roller coasters that's crazy <laughs> That's, and do you know what's crazy is to in terms of the coaster force the roller coaster community uh channel and stuff that i'm part of that's not actually that high most of a lot of them have ridden over a thousand wow. <laughs> but they don't have bands taking up their time yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's it i can imagine that um uh, uh one last thing then what's the next sort of six months looking like for Svalbard for Noctul. What are your plans now? You've got a few shows scattered around later in the year, haven't you? Yeah, uh, well, with Svalbard, we're doing some great festivals over the summer. We're playing Resurrection in Spain, Motorculture in France, Summer Breeze in Germany. Um, we're playing with Mono at the Coco in September. We've cool. got a headline show in Guildford in September that same weekend. Um, yeah, we've got got loads to look forward to we're about to go to uh, back to helsinki in a couple of weeks uh, i think it's next weekend actually um to play sonic rights festival so really looking forward to that one uh we've also got a big announcement coming very very soon <laughs> and that's all i can say on that one okay, i hate cool. to be that person you know no, that yeah. oh stay tuned <laughs> but yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we I, do i'm, have I'm not there yet i can't demand that kind of uh that kind of big announcement don't worry about it <laughs> yeah we do have something pretty exciting to announce very soon and uh yeah then um i guess you know at, once we finish these festival shows and shows in september we'll 
we're um, yeah looking more towards future recordings and stuff like that. Uh, with Noctual, it's a bit different because I only have to work with me. I don't have to, you know, I'm not, <laughs> there's no with Noctual. I, I can do what I want. Um, so I've just started writing some more some more bits, some more music. And uh, we got the Church Road Record Show, which is Saturday the 6th of August. Um, yeah, and then hopefully have some new music out in the future as well with that. Awesome. Look forward to that. Um, all right. Oh, I've, I think I've taken up enough of your time. So um, uh, thank you for taking time out of your crazy schedule to, to talk to me. Oh, thank you. It's been really nice to chat. Thank you for your questions. No, it's cool. It's been good fun. Um, appreciate it. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if I ranted about Brexit too much. <laughs> Big thanks again to Serena for her time uh, in talking with us today. Slight apologies for the uh, abrupt end of the interview, um, but we just lost a little bit of audio. Um, yeah, back to normal next week, I believe. Uh, Padre and Ant will be joining us again. Uh, I do. Th I think we're talking about uh, the 70s um, in terms of heavy metal and the influence it had on, on the future. So, yeah, it's an obvious one, but there's some, uh, there's some forgotten gems from the 70s that we need to talk about. So, listen in next week. Thanks very much.